Today's hashtag cause a scene episode of the series How to Be Anti-Racist, Chapter 11. And this chapter is called Black. I can say in reading um, Dr. Kendi's work, I can appreciate as a researcher, as a person who's an educator, as a person who's a lifelong learner, I can appreciate the challenges he takes my mind through on these subjects um, because it forces me, it literally forces me to um, develop, to really think beyond um, my own current understanding in that moment and have as open mind as possible because he has demonstrated that he can be trusted and that he has quality work. I don't extend that to everyone. Um, I'm not going to um, extend that kind of grace to everyone. It's, again, he has demonstrated that he's an authority in, in this subject matter, and he cares about individuals, and he's not trying to cause harm. And even in that, um, so I can extend some grace to him, and it requires me to say, okay, Kim, this is your... You know, when I first see the first few sentences, it's like, like hairs raised up on my back of my neck. And I'm like, okay, just breathe and be as open-minded about this as possible. Come from this as a researcher. Have an open mind. See if you can understand his perspectives and then see how those perspectives either align or collide with your perspectives and what you know and what you've experienced and what you've seen. And so um, I'm saying all this at the beginning of this chapter because I really want people to understand some things because this is the chapter I think has the potential to cause harm. Um, and we've been getting there um, in particular last weeks and then um, at the beginning about blacks being racist. And so I want to be very mindful and thoughtful and in, 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 in not only intention, intentional, but strategic, as you know me, intention without strategy is chaos. Because this chapter in the hands of certain people will cause chaos, I'm just going to say. I mean, based on what we experience in our communities, um, this could cause chaos. And so I'm going to say some things up front, and I'm going to come back to them later, um, that I need you to keep in mind. One thing about this work, his work, particularly this chapter, has proven to me, and, um, and I knew it. It's why I equally, I, not equally, I'm going to be honest with you, I value practical, I, li- I, pra- I value lived experience over data. So I'm a person who values qualitative over quantitative. Um, if, if it's a weighted situation, I'm going to go with the qualitative because the, that talks from the lived experiences of individuals. I'm, I'm, it's the people. It's not just the data. And so that's, I, I, that's the first thing I want to talk about. I, I see very clearly here the difference between theory versus practice. Also, I want to make it very clear here that there is, in the hashtag cause the scene community, there is no such thing as reverse racism. Let me be clear again, there is no such thing as reverse racism. And the third point I want to make is, and this is where I want to make sure I, I, I said that 
no such thing as reverse racism. Because this chapter specifically, or majority, is about how blacks treat other blacks. So it's about can blacks be racist towards other blacks? Okay. Um, that's how I'm interpreting it. And as the researcher here, I have every right to do that. Um, and this is how the hashtag cause a scene is going to interpret it because as the founder of hashtag cause a scene community, that's my right to do that because what I don't want to do is open the door to debates on this. And this is where, this is where the harm comes in. And I, um, I don't, can't speak to if he's thought about this or whatever, but being in the trenches every day, dealing with uh, white supremacy in tech, dealing with racism in tech, dealing with homophobia and transphobia and all these things in tech, I, we've learned, we've experienced personally, once you give these individuals who oppose the freedoms, the safety, the welcoming of others, of the most vulnerable and the most mar marginalized, if you give them a crack, they will kick the door in. And kicking the door in causes harm. So this is why um, it's very important when we're doing this work that we read, we watch, we study. We engage our brains. We engage each other in conversation. And yet we know based on the hashtag cause of scene guiding principles, that the most important principle is prioritizing the most vulnerable. So nothing that we ever are gonna do is not gonna be seen and acted on from the viewpoint of tech is not neutral, lack of, um, lack of um, excuse me, tech is not neutral, um, intention without strategy is chaos, lack of inclusion is a risk management issue, and more, most important, we have to prioritize the most vulnerable. So that is the preamble to where I'm about to go with this. And I wrote a lot in the margins here. So um, the chapter is black, and we're going to start with the definition. And he says, powerless defense, the illusionary, concealing, disempowering, and racist idea that black people can't be racist because black people have, don't have power. And so the first thing I wrote here is this chapter is the best example I've seen to explain why I don't focus my efforts on blacks. We are, as design, bearing the heaviest of burdens, internalized white supremacy and anti-blackness. And this is the term I choose. These are the terms or words I choose to use instead of saying that black people can be racist. Because again, as I just said, when I open that door, to say that black people can be racist. Individuals who hear that, who have not done the study that we're about to go through, who have not um, dived deep into these topics, they just hear that and immediately they equate black people can be racist with there's a such thing as reverse racism or racism against whites. So I want you to be mindful of why I'm taking this hard stance because you know I need boundaries. We need boundaries to do this work because if we don't have hard boundaries that prioritize the most vulnerable, that's who the hell gets hurt. Not you white guys, not you white women, but the most vulnerable in our communities. So, um, 
And then um, I wrote something else in the in the margin. I said the primary goal and drive is assimilation. So, and that's kind of the summary of this whole chapter for me. That where he says black people can be racist, and I say. Um, blacks have to contend or deal with their own ter- internalized white supremacy and anti-blackness. It comes from a place of the primary goal being and drive being to assimilate. And that is to get as close to whiteness, <clears throat> the default as possible. So um, on page 137, um, he's uh, uh, right. I uh, highlighted he separated himself from them niggers, racialized them, looked down on them. He directed his disdain not toward the police officers, who, police officers who racially profiled them, who mistreated them, but to them niggers. And this is, again, I wrote my note here, internalized white supremacy and anti-blackness. And I also highlighted just, I love black people, but I hate niggers. Um, I love black people, but I hate niggers and white people. While hip hop artists recast nigga as an enduring term, nigger remained the divisive term outside and inside black mouths. And I'm going to tell you, in my community, um, we just don't call each other nigger. We just don't. So, um, yeah. So um, I highlighted a lot on the next two pages, on page 138 and 139, and I don't uh, feel I'm going to read all of that. But at the end of the, cha- uh, end of the first paragraph, it says, Chris Rock stopped performing this routine when he saw white people laughing too loud. And then I, my note is, and this is the point. So this whole thing was about Chris Rock used to have a routine that says, I like black people, but I hate niggas. And, you know people in the black community were laughing but as I let me read that again Chris Rock stopped performing this routine when he saw white people laughing too loud and my point here in the margin is and this is the point and this is why I refuse to say that white people can and black people can be racist because to say that um, empowers whiteness all right so um we did not place loud people who happen to be black in an interracial group of loud people as ra- as anti-racist. We racialized the negative behavior and attached loudness to niggers like white racists as black racists. We did not place neg- neg- negligent black parents into an interracial group of negligent parents as anti-racist, we racialize the negative behavior and test and negligent parenting to niggers like white racists as black racists. We did not place black communities, excuse me, black criminals into interracial groups of criminals as anti-racist. We racialize the negative behavior and attached criminality to niggers like white racists as black racists. We did not place lazy blacks into interracial groups of lazy people as anti-racist. We racialize the negative behavior and attach laziness to niggers like white racists as black racists. And after that, we self-identified as not racist like white racists as black racists. 
Chris Rock met Black Americans where all too many of us were at the turn of the millennium, stationed within the dueling consciousness of assimilationist and anti-racist ideas, distinguishing ourselves from them niggers as white racists were distinguishing themselves from us niggers. We felt a tremendous anti-racist pride in Black excellence and the and tremendously racist shame in being connected to them niggers. We recognized the racist policy we were facing and were ignorant to the racist policy them niggers were facing. We looked at them niggers as felons of the race when our anti-black racist ideas were the real black-on-black crime. So, I'm going to stop here. Because I really want to, I have to be mindful when I'm doing this work that I'm really careful about this. And I want to stop here and, and debrief or unpack what I just said or what I just read. Because, again, this is a lot of what I see in, in his work, and I, I get it, it's, it's, it's a binary. It's either you're racist or anti-racist, and there is no not racist. That I agree with. But the binary does not work like that in the in real world. The binary um, doesn't account for, and we're going to get more into this, um, but doesn't, uh, and this is why, again, I, that term using black racist is harmful. Um, when I turn it and say, blacks are dealing with their, have to deal with their own internalized white supremacy and anti-racist, Yes, they are exhibiting black or, or racist ideas or even performing racist acts, but that's as designed, and yet they are still not racist. So I want to be that very clear. It's a, it's a fine line of understanding for me. Um, they are doing these, they are performing racial acts. They are saying racial things because, again, the primary goal and drive is assimilation. It is to get as close to whiteness as possible. So, um, and this is why, I, this is another reason why the blacks can't be racist is not, doesn't, doesn't fit me, is because the goal is not to be more black. The goal is to get to as close to whiteness as possible. None of this benefits blacks as a as a system as a system as institution as an institution as none of this it is all to shed as much of your blackness as possible and move as close to whiteness as whiteness will allow you so that that's that that i really need to make sure we get this so in 2003, as I sat in the black editor's office, 53% of black people were surveyed as saying that they, that something other than racism mostly explained why black people had worse jobs, income, and housing than white people, up from 48% a decade earlier. Only 40% of black respondents described racism as the source of the inequalities in 2003. 
three. By 2013, in the middle of the Obama presidency, only 37% of black people were pointing to mostly racism as a cause of racial inequities. A whopping 60% of black people had joined 3% of white people that year who found explanations other than racism to explain persistent racial inequalities. And internalizing the racist idea was likely the reason. Okay, so this is getting to the heart of my issue here or, or, or my theory. So um, the system, let's be honest, people. Very few of us, and that include me included, understood until very recently or had the language to talk about the systems of white supremacy, that white supremacy and racism were institutions, that it, will, it was policies. Nobody in my community talked about that. No, no, and it's designed that way. There's um, the schools that we go to teach us a curriculum that says that we're all equal. Doesn't talk about that, that there's an imbalance when there's, whiteness involved. It, it purports that we're all equal and the failings of the individual black person is a failing on the whole community, whereas the failings of individual white person is the failings of that white person. So there's a lot to unpack. There's a lot to deal with. And it does not surprise me that in Obama's era, people weren't talking about this. Because everybody, people were actually talking about at that time, we were in a post-racial society. We're in a post-racial um, space. So if we're post-racial and that's what you believe, then why would you question that racism is a part of any of this? You wouldn't. And so it's only now with the president that the United States has that folks are realizing, oh shit, we were never post-racial. This shit has always been going on. It's just been hidden from those that it impacts the most. And this is where, again, the binary, there's so many things about his binary that need to be adjusted. There needs to be a step between, and this is not for white people. Again, this conversation is all about black folks. For me, whiteness is racist by default. There is no argument, debate for that for me. So you need to be demonstrating consistent anti-racist behavior. That's just the period. That's it. This is about explaining how blacks can treat each other and our communities in ways that mimic how whiteness treats us. And it's by design. So he says, but even then, about a third of black people still express the racist position that struggling blacks were mostly responsible for their own condition compared to 54% of whites, 48% of Latinx, and 75% of Republicans. Again, I'm not surprised by any of this. On page 140, every time I say something is wrong with black people, I am simultaneously separating myself from them, essentially saying them niggers. When I do this, I am being racist. And I crossed out the word racist and said anti-black. <laughs> uh, and I'm going to stick with this. I said, and nope, you're not being racist. You're being anti-black. And you must deal with your own internalized white supremacy. So um, 
further down the page, it says, he talks about power. This powerless defense, as I call it, emerged in the wake of the racist whites dismissing anti-racist policies and ideas as racist in the late 1960s. A subsequent decade, black voices critical of white racism defended themselves from these charges by saying blacks can't be racist because black people don't have power. And so I wrote an underline where he says this powerless, this powerless defense and said, my note is there is no powerlessness. It's only relative power. I would never say, and I haven't said that black people don't have power. We have power relative to others. And it's the same thing with privilege. In some spaces, I am the privileged individual. It's not many. Well, when whiteness is around, it's not many. But in other spaces, yes, I am well-educated. I have, I'm a homeowner. Um, I, have, I travel the world. I'm in a space that affords me a great income. Um, all, all kinds of things. I have privilege. I am able-bodied. I um, have a, a, a MacBook Pro. There are a lot of things that I am privileged. And it's relative And so it's, I'm going to use the word power because that's what he's using. So there's a lot of places that I have power and it's relative to those in the space who have, who also have power. So again, it's about the, the hashtag causing guiding principle or the rules of engagement that we created, that I created is you go into a space and you assess who has the most power and who has the most uh, opportunity to be harmed by that power. So it's no one is ever powerless. It's about how they can use that power. And then in tech, my power is relative to who's in the space. Are there, um, are there white people in the space? If it is, then I need to figure out where they are um, in the hierarchy of being anti-racist or whatever to, to determine where I fit safely to be myself. So um, he says, quietly, though, this defense shields people of color in positions of power from doing the work of anti-racism, since they are apparently powerless, since white people have all the power. This means that people of color are powerless to roll back racist policies and close racial equalities, inequalities, even in their own spheres of influence, the places where they actually have some power to affect change. The powerless defense shields people of color from changing the, from charges of racism, even when they are reproducing racist policies and justifying them with the same racist ideas as white people they call racist. The powerless defense shields its believers from the history of of white people empowering people of color to oppress people of color and people of color using their limited power to oppress people of color for their own personal gain, which I just talked about. That's why you had slaves in the house who were light-skinned and slaves in the field. That's why you had the master or the slave owner um, had an overseer who was black um, who uh, elicited all the punishment most of the punishment to black slaves. Um, it is a way to fundamentally, mentally break down the black psyche. There's nothing about this that is inherently powerful. 
these individuals receive their quote unquote power from whiteness in service to whiteness. It was never in service to themselves. So this is the thing I just, I just really, I'm going to keep hammering because this is where I think, for me, this is what's missing. It is, it, it speaks as if it, blacks who have power gain that power on their own without the nod or the approval of whiteness, can use that power on their own in any way they choose without the nod or approval of whiteness, and that that power can't be taken away at any moment based on the nod or approval of whiteness. So, um, okay, there we go there. So on the next page, he talks about institutional power, systematic power, structural power is the policymaking and managing of power of people in groups or individuals. When someone says black people can't be racist because black people don't have institutional power, they are flouting reality. Um, The powerless defense strips black policymakers and managers of all their power. And I say here, I agree. And that's why this isn't what I mean. So um, I agree. This is why I don't say powerless. There is no powerless. There is power relative to other people's power. Um, And yet there's a caveat there because I just said it. The the, um, black policymakers and managers of all their power, their power is only theirs because whiteness, the institutions of whiteness had deemed them, you know, worthy of it. Or I'm not even going to say worthy of it because then that means they have some value. They're in positions to, to, um, to use that power in the service of white supremacy. When a black man stepped into the most powerful office in the world in 2009, his policies were often excused by apologists who said he didn't have executive power as if none of the executive orders were carried out. Neither of his black attorney general had any power to roll back mass incarceration and his Black National Security Advisor had no power. The truth is, black people can be racist because black people do have power, even if limited. Here's my my notes. This this is a one-sided and potentially harm, harmful assertion. Yes, this is all true, but it doesn't account for the counterbalance of individuals and systems who are forces against the individual power. One can leverage individual power, the other can leverage institutional power. And then I put there, this is not a valid comparison. Um, And here is your homework one. I want you to look at just current day, just with the Congress we have now, how many bills or whatever that the House has approved that Mitch McConnell will not bring to the floor to vote on. This is about power. So I want to, this is where I want to talk about power. And I, and again, it's about, as I said, it's about relative power. Um, And we're seeing it right now with these impeachment hearings. Although the house is, is, is undergoing this impeachment process, there is no guarantee that the Senate with Mitch McConnell will, uh, bring it to a vote or whatever you see it. So I want you to look at policies that have been approved by the house and how many, I need you to see, look at how many 
that are sitting waiting for the uh, the Senate to do something about them. As well as I want to look at again when it comes to power, how many federal judges though have been approved during this um, during this time? Conservative federal judges have been approved during this time when other things, uh, other policies cannot get approved. Again, that's the that that is the equation we're talking about. Again, these are not binary issues, and this is the point to me that he misses in all of this. This isn't about binary. Uh, it's about who has the power. As I said, um, the president, the Obama, uh, his attorney general, his black attorney general, and his black, um, he said, uh, national security, those were individual powers. And to say that they could leverage that to change the institutional power that whiteness has is not a fair comparison. It's not a, it's not a, I'm not going to use the word fair because people have different, whoever's in power gets to define who's what fair is, is not a valid comparison. Um, he says, note that I say limited black power rather than no power. And see, that's my thing. I say it's, it's, it's relative power. Uh, and so that's what I wrote here. I said, he says limited. I say relative power. Um, and then, uh, I go to when you control a man's thinking, you do not have to worry about his actions. You do not have to tell him not to stand here or go yonder. He will find his pl- proper place and he will stay in it. And this is, this is the part that I'm talking about. And my note here is this has been the case. The fiction is that this is no longer. So they're still going. What's happening still today is when you control a man's mind, his thinking, um, you don't have to worry about his actions. And again, if you look at if you've been following the um, the hearings this week, um, Michael Cohen said it and, and Sondland said it this week. The, this president doesn't have to tell you anything. You have been conditioned to act based on how he expects you to act. And again, this is what I love about science, and this is what I love about qualitative, is because quantitative, and this is what gets us fucked up in tech, is because when we just look at quantitative, just some data, just some data points, and don't understand how a person might have answered that question, what state of mind they were in when they answered that question, what are their beliefs about that question? All those other things, you're just taking a snapshot of a moment that they may not be, they may not even be their true moment. And so um, it's very, very important to um, um those things are very important, quantitative and qualitative. And that's that's the thing we're definitely sorely missing in tech. Um, and again, I will always lean heavier heavier on quantitative, a uh, qualitative. And then on 143, remember we are all either racist or anti-racist. And then I wrote here, this doesn't apply to blacks. This is this is doesn't apply to blacks. Um, and um, so I go to page 144, and I highlighted. It says it's right after it says. Um, still escapes charges of racism. So he's talking about light people over dark people, blah, blah, blah. And I say, no black person escapes being a victim of racism. So um, 
this is why. So it's a. So this is again why the equation is not equal. You can be charged with racism as a black person, which makes no sense to me because you can never escape being 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 impacted by racism, being a victim of racism. So this is why I say internalized white supremacy and anti-blackness. And anti-blackness is a global phenomenon. Um, Because when I look at globally, if people of color are in power in other areas of the world, the pool, going back to the, the first hypothesis I had, what did I have an hypothesis, assertion I had, is that the primary goal and drive is assimilation, and the assimilation is to whiteness. You see it in Asian countries, people um, bleaching their skin, doing their hair. You see it in um, in African countries, women bleaching their skin. You see it in Latin countries, where the lighter you are, the whiter you are, the more privilege you have in, in this social hierarchy. So, Again, all of these to me are false equivalencies because blackness is always going to be impacted and be a victim of racism. And so I um, I'm continuing on to one, 144, when we stop denying the duality of races and anti-racist, we can take the accurate accounting of the racist ideas and policies we support. And again, this is my, this is my thing of we cannot paint blackness and whiteness with the same brush because it's not equal. And this is why I intentionally use whiteness and blackness to try to make some kind of equality equation in it, but it's not there. Um, and so what do I, what did I write here? I believe this can be done with, without the victims of racism being held responsible. Yes, blacks can hold racist ideas and yet individually can only forward actions that benefit whiteness. Power dynamics isn't equal. Um, I've been writing all over. They don't give me enough margin. If the racist ideas of blacks benefited them, then I would agree. So this is just my, my biggest like takeaway from all of this. Okay, so now I'm going to page 147. Black people stamp William Hannibal Thomas as the black Judas. Black critics ruined his credibility and soon white racists could no longer use him. So they tossed him away like the paper plate as white racists have done so to so many disposable black races over the years. Thomas found work as a janitor before dying in obscurity in 1935. And this is the point that I want to make. As soon as blacks, these black individuals are no longer of use to whiteness, it serves whiteness, they get thrown away. There is no true power in that. If I cannot maintain my power under any circumstances, under anything that I do, then no, I don't have true power. It's relative power. And so I wrote here, this is the key. Only whiteness has the ability to grant power. Blackness has no inherent power. So, um, on page 149, it talks about the rise of mass incarceration was partly fueled by black people who, even as they adopted racist idea, did so ostensibly out of trying to save the black community in the 1970s. But the 1980s brought the more pre-mandated form of racism as channeled through the black administrators Ronald Reagan appointed to the cabinet. 
Uh, so basically, um, this is your assignment too, because again, this is the political. I want us to focus on these systems. I need you to re watch either, um, Robert Righteous, he was the, the, he was the labor secretary under Clinton. Um, watch Saving Capitalism, which is on, um, Netflix or and or you can you benefit from watching both uh, Requiem for the American Dream um, by Norm Chomsky and that's on Amazon Prime both of these books are rooted are foundational to this work again this binary these binaries are a problem and why we need to focus on the systems. And I want you to watch, look at these um, movies because these are not, you will see that these, what we're dealing with now, um, with as we go back and we're, we were, you know, he was talking about how many black people were, didn't, be, didn't believe in racist policies. These things have been put into design in place since the Civil Rights Act. There was a strong swing from that, and oh God, no! First of all, they, the census was saying, "Hey, if we kept we keep moving in this direction, whiteness is going to be the minority." But also, um, after the free love decade, after civil rights, conservatives and businesses intentionally these are strategies, and this is the stuff that people leave out. These were intentional strategies to shift so that when so that whiteness would always have power. And so again, I challenge this black can be racist when I don't care what role they've been in, they don't have true power. They have power is derived or given to them by whiteness. And then at the bottom it says the dueling the duel between anti-racism and assimilation started embracing, um, so he's talking about W.B. Du Bois, started embracing the struggle towards a singular consciousness of anti-racism. Racism. This is the idea, ideal. This is the ideal. So this is your assignment number three. Based on this conversation I have, and let me go back over this again. These are what, this is the difference between rule theory and practice. There is no such thing as reverse racism. And this is about blacks on blacks. So based on the idea of removing the, the dual consciousness of anti-racism and assimilation um, and coming to a singular consciousness of anti-racism, what kind of what work do you as an individual need to do to challenge the systems that are in place so that we can... Have that collective singular consciousness of um, anti racism. So that is your episode for the day. And I'm wishing you well. Have a wonderful day. Thanks for listening to this special episode of the Hashtag Call the Scene podcast. I would like once again to give thanks to the author of How to Be an Anti Racist, Professor Ibram X. Kendi. Learn more about his work at his website at ibramxkindy.com. Please consider becoming an individual sponsor of the Hashtag Call the Scene movement by visiting the website at hashtagcallthescene.com. 
On behalf of everyone here at Hashtag Call the Scene, we'd like to thank you again for listening to today's show and have a wonderful day.